What's the purpose behind all of this? What's the purpose behind all the celebration? What is the purpose behind all of the decorations? What's the purpose behind the holiday meals? Why do we do what we do? Well, we wanna land the plane a little bit today on that idea. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter two, and we'll start with verse one and go down to verse seven here in just a moment. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But I wanna say this, that of all the events in human history, there's one event that shaped human history probably greater than any other event that we know of. It's an event that's been immortalized in our minds. It's literally burned into the retina of human history. We have this concept uh, that we, we see a small family gathered together in a stable, a mother and a father and a child. Sometimes they're visited by three wise men and other times uh, they have a couple shepherds hanging out. You might even get lucky and see the nativity set with the angel on the outskirts, but all players in this grand story uh, that we see lived out in scripture. Again, the greatest event that we could possibly mark human history with was this one event. It was such a great event that it literally splits time AD and BC. It's a moment that stands far above the rest, yet it was a moment uh, that wasn't filled with much frills or fanfare. It was a moment that was fantastic nonetheless, but it wasn't a moment that was necessarily, would have necessarily stood out when it happened. This was a moment when the temporal met the eternal. This was a moment when the eternal nature of God became realized in flesh and human form. This was a moment when the eternal nature of God met the temporal nature of man really for the first time. God incarnate, God wrapped in flesh. It's a moment that seems so absolutely absurd, but yet was so very real. It was a moment that was too good for this world because this moment was literally marked by the next world. This moment literally had the fingertips of the next world all over it. This was a moment where two worlds would come together to create a hope that has never died and that could never be quenched. This is the moment when God became man. Now I say that because this is probably one of the most defining points of Christianity. This is the theological marker that might stand above all else, that God literally became man. It's something that we overlook and that we don't, we don't often acknowledge around Christmas time. It's something that we have a hard time explaining and even a harder time understanding. But let's read a portion of his story. In verse one of Luke chapter two, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Now these are real people in historical context. These are real people. There really was a Caesar Augustus. He really was the ruler of all of the Roman world or all of the known world under Rome's rule at that time. It was, there also was a man named Quirinius who was the governor of Syria. And so we can place the birth of Jesus in human history uh, with some of those historical markers. And everyone went to his own hometown to register. So Joseph, the new dad of God, and so Joseph also went up from his hometown, or from his town, I'm sorry, of Nazareth in Galilee of Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, uh, because he belonged to the house in the line of David 
So they were all called to go to their place of origin, their place of lineage. David was born in this town of Bethlehem. Joseph was of the lineage of David, so he and Mary would register. They would give their mark in this town. They left their home in Nazareth, which was in this community of Judea, and they found their way up to Bethlehem. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Again, we read this story and we don't always understand the nuances. Here we have a young girl, 13, 14 years old, maybe as young as 12 years old, depending on how you read the history and how you read, how you read the history of the Jewish people. A very, very young girl who just days before an angel had come to her and said, you're gonna have the son of God. You're going to have a child that is birthed in you. And I know you haven't had any relations with a man. You haven't experienced that yet, but you're still going to have this child. I'm sure it was a difficult task for her, this young girl, this teen, preteen girl to ask her espoused husband to trust her to believe her that the story she's about to tell is real. It's not fictional. It's not made up. This is real. This is honest. This is truthful. God visited me and made me pregnant. I know most of us, if we heard our daughters or nieces or loved ones give that story, we'd laugh them off. Are you kidding me? There's no way God would make you pregnant. God didn't impregnate you. Come on, tell us the full story. Yet Joseph himself was visited by an angel, as our children told us this morning in that short video, that he was scared and he was wondering what he should do. In fact, he even contemplated what the Bible calls putting her out, which would have meant total shame and could have possibly meant a stoning, a public stoning, nonetheless. But the angel calmed him and said, no, take this woman as your wife. Be truthful to your betrothal and take her as your own. And so he he did reluctantly, even as the story goes on, he did what God told him to. He wasn't sure that this was all gonna play out as the angel had promised. He wasn't sure that this was all going to work out as the angel had said. Now, I think for us, we look at the story of Jesus, we look at the story of Christmas, and we have a backwards historical view because we know the end of the story. We know that this little baby grows up to be a man. We know that he becomes one of the greatest teachers that the Jews would ever know, that they would ever hear. In fact, he was so brilliant in the ways of the Torah or their law that as a young boy, that the, rabbi, the rabbis marveled at his teaching, at his explanation of God's word. We know that he was a great teacher. We also know that he had a great, he had a great command that we would follow him and be like him so that we would follow the Messiah, so that we would understand what it is uh, to be people or children of God. We read it from a backwards perspective. We know the story's all lined out, all written out, that while we celebrate Christmas, we also know that Easter's coming, that there's a day when he would sacrifice himself for the sins of all humanity. But what would it have looked like for two young people to be told of an angel that this young woman would have a baby and it wouldn't be their baby, but it would be inspired, it would be embirthed by the Holy Spirit. That she would be impregnated, that she would have the seed of God on the inside of her, that God would step away from his throne, wrap himself in human flesh, and be born of this virgin. There's something very cautious 
that we've got to kind of walk through as we read the story of Jesus, and it is the idea of the impossible. Everything surrounding the birth of Jesus is impossible. It is impossible for these two to believe this idea from this angel in a dream that God would put his son inside frail and broken human flesh. It's also impossible to believe the idea that Jesus would willingly submit to being low and meek, that he would submit to being wrapped in human flesh and limited by human flesh. While he was all God, he was still all man here on planet earth. This is one of the greatest miracles that we even see in recorded in, his, in, in scripture, that God would subject himself to becoming human, that he would be bound by time, someone who knew nothing but eternity and a space in eternity where time had no meaning. He would now be bound by these 33 years. Someone who would have no idea what it looks like to be bound by flesh, the pain and the feelings of flesh, the issues that we all carry with our fleshly nature, what it is to be human, that he would subject himself to that, that he would willingly take on humanity, yet he does this impossible task. Impossible doesn't exist in the vocabulary of God. Impossible doesn't exist in the plane of eternity. Yet we see God breaking through and crushing the idea of impossible. This virgin birth was just another reminder that we need to call this his primary and first miracle. I know many of us, when we read the Bible, we think the first miracle of Jesus is when he was at the wedding feast and turned water into wine, but that negates this idea that God became man, that he wrapped himself in the womb of a woman and thus started the first miracle, the true miracle of his coming. In fact, the New Testament refers to this as the miracle, that this is the quintessential, this is the primary, this is where it all starts, that if you're gonna believe in this person of Jesus, you must believe in the idea that he came, spotless son of God, that he came, spotless deity, and wrapped himself in humanity. There are theological truths that begin with the virgin birth, and without this virgin birth, without God coming and putting himself in human flesh, that the whole story of Jesus begins to unravel, unravel. Jesus could not be God if he wasn't born of a virgin. If he wasn't perfect God wrapped in human flesh, then he couldn't be God because he would have been born of two sinful persons. He would have been born of natural means. The sin stain that follows each of us would have followed him and there would be no promise that is eternal. Jesus' death would be nothing more than historical fact if he wasn't born of a virgin. If he wasn't God wrapped in human flesh and born of a virgin, then his death would have been nothing more than historical fact. He would have been nothing more than just another martyr for the Jews, and there would be no, no significance to the atoning factor of his blood. There would be no significance to the redemptive power of his blood if he wasn't born of this virgin. Jesus could not have experienced the resurrection if he wasn't born of the virgin. If he wasn't God wrapped in human flesh and born of a virgin, then we couldn't anticipate heaven as our home when this life is over because his life would have perished just like ours and there would be no redemption caused. There would be no rejuvenation of the spirit. There would be no rescuing of a humanity. 
Without this virgin birth, Jesus could not be the Savior that we look to. There would be no hope of salvation, and Jesus could not be the Messiah, and he couldn't fulfill the prophecies if he wasn't first born of a virgin birth, if he wasn't first God wrapped in human flesh and born of a virgin. Jesus traded heaven for humility. Jesus traded all of heaven for the humility of humanity. Jesus took all of his heavenly status and put it on hold so that he could, so that he could be like you and I. Jesus took all of heaven and put it aside so that he could be just like you and just like me, so that he could experience what we've experienced, so that he could, he could see through human eyes, so that he is not a God that is far off, that doesn't have the experiences we have, yet he is a God who experienced all of this world just the way we do. He's not a God we can't relate to. He's a God who's lived in your shoes because he traded heaven for this humility. Luke chapter two and verse four through seven, as we read, it says, so Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, uh, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of uh, the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be his, his bride, um, and she was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to, the first, to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Think about this for a second. You have Jesus, the son of God, who has a heavenly and celestial throne. He has a throne that lives on in eternity. He sits high and mighty and he is worshiped. And in one moment, he goes from his throne to Mary's womb. In one moment, Jesus is worshiped. And in the next moment, he is hunted by the government to wipe out this so-called king, newborn king of the Jews. In one moment, Jesus was among the angels. In the next moment, he was among the animals in the stable. In one moment, Jesus was on his throne. In the next moment, he was laying in a manger. We have this picture that we all subscribe to of the birth of Jesus, and it's not uh, it's not very factual for what it would have looked like at the time. This manger scene that we have kind of carved or etched in our mind is this picture of a wooden structure, of a barn-like structure where animals would come and to feed and to graze. And while part of that would have been true, it would most, most likely it would have been a hollowed out piece of rock or cave. Just enough space uh, for the few animals that lived in that area to find shelter in storms and to find a place to bed down when night came. Mary and Joseph would have found this hollowed out cave and made this their residence while they're expecting this child to be born. Probably barely big enough for a few adults to hang out in. And yet we're seeing Mary, Joseph, the baby, likely a few animals. Joseph knew what was about to happen, there's no doubt, yet he had never experienced childbirth of his own. He hadn't had any kids of his own yet. 
Mary, we know that she was a virgin, hadn't experienced childbirth. So there's this anticipation of great joy and excitement. The promise of God is about to be fulfilled, yet there's an immense amount of fear because can we do it? Can we handle the Son of God? What if we screw up? What if we mess this kid up? What if it doesn't work out the way God planned it? What if we're not good enough? What if we're not strong enough to carry the promise? God, what if we fail in delivering to your people, your Messiah? There are many, many what ifs that I'm sure or plague the young couple's mind, yet they trudge on and they have this miraculous moment, an impossible moment where God becomes flesh and is born to this new and expecting parents. I'm always kind of awestruck by this moment because it's something that we can't quite put into words. It's something that we can't quite understand uh, on our own. It's something that we try to express in beautifully decorated Christmas trees. It's something that we try to express with holiday music. It's something that we try to express with lights on our homes and gift giving and holiday parties. What we're trying to say is that the glory of heaven has finally come to earth. What we're doing our best to express to our loved ones and to those around us is that the glory of God has finally found its residence here in human form. We're doing our best best to decorate our homes and to give the perfect gift and to share our best food with the ones that we love and to celebrate wholeheartedly because we are hoping they understand and we are hoping to communicate this mystery that the glory of heaven, that God who is seated on high wrapped himself in flesh and became human just like you and I. We're doing our best to show off the glory of God manifest here on planet earth. It's one of the hardest mysteries of the faith. It's one of the most difficult things to understand as a Christian, that why would God, why would God perfect in his status, worshiped and on high, all powerful and almighty, subjugate himself to this wretched human flesh? Jesus traded all of heaven for the humility of a human life. This first Christmas, there was a matchless gift given, and his name is Jesus. His mother wrapped him in swaddling clothes because it's all they had, not because it was customary necessarily, not because it was what they were anticipating, but because it was what they had available. She wrapped him in linens and garments that would later be reminiscent of his death when he would be buried and wrapped in linens and mummified and put in a tomb but at the time, they were just trying to calm and quiet a newborn child. At the time, I'm sure they didn't see the eternal significance that it would be that he would shed those clothes and grow up to be a man that would lead not only a people, but would lead a movement that would change the world. I'm sure they didn't get the full picture that he would walk on water, that he would heal the sick, that he would redeem the sinner. I'm sure that they thought of their newborn child the way all of us do when we see that baby for the first time. Good Lord, I can't believe it's finally here. I remember looking at my boys for the first time and thinking, their mom did a really good job because <laughs> there ain't nothing in this that looks like me. And these two beautiful boys, and I thought, God, it's an impossible miracle that this even happened. If you look at all the different data points that have to connect in order for a child just to exist, let alone between her and I, God, this is beautiful. This is an amazing, amazing moment. 
And I can't help but wonder how much more weight would be set on the shoulders of the parents when the words are whispering in the back of their mind, this is the Son of God. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8 and 10. And there were shepherds residing in a field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Just then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. This is one of my favorite points of scripture in regard to the miracle that is Jesus. Again, we're talking about God becoming incarnate. We're talking about God of the universe, perfect in every way, wrapping himself in flesh, wrapping himself in the decaying mess that is humanity and bringing himself to earth. And we see of his birth announcement that the first people to get the letter that God's son was born was not the kings of the age. They were not the upper echelons. They were not the elites. They were the common everyday shepherds. These common everyday daily Joes were first given the announcement that God's son was born. The, they had the privilege to see the skies split and to peer into heaven and to watch a heavenly host pronounce that God's son had finally come. They were given the privilege to see past this world and to see into eternity, to see heavenly beings fill the sky and pronounce that Jesus, the Messiah, had finally come. And like many of us would be, they were terrified. And these angels calmed their terror and their fear with these simple words, don't be afraid, for we, be, we bring you glad tidings of great joy. We bring you good news that is of great joy, and it's for all people. Why would God come to the lowliest of the low first so that there's never a barrier in the way? That when we celebrate this birth of a king, that we don't place barriers in the way to the gift that we give to the presence that we give, not the presence under the tree, but the gift of the Son of God that lives on the inside of us. That we would be those who would express to everyone and anyone the gift that is Jesus. That in our hearts we extend the love and the grace and the care of God, especially in this season that is Christmas. That regardless of the tension in relationships, that regardless of the roadblocks that we face, that we would be those who would put away our differences and say even, especially during this holiday season, it's the moment where we give the gift of the Son of God. It's not always an easy thing to do to put ourselves aside. It's not always an easy thing to do to look to the least of these and to the least of these relationships and to the least of these moments, but it's our job to bring Jesus into every area of life, that there is no barrier. So God shows up to the lowliest of the lows and gives them this message through the angels that they should fear not, for there is good news of great joy. The angels go on to repeat the story that in the city of David, there was born a savior of the world, that the Messiah had come, that God had done the impossible, that he had wrapped himself in human flesh and he was born of a virgin, that he had finally fulfilled the prophecies and he would continue to fulfill all the way up into his death, that there was the true, honest Messiah who was waited for, the savior of the world, the hope of the universe. The story is one that as I get older, I can't, I can't pass on anymore. I can't pass over anymore. 
It's a story that I can't ignore anymore. And I know many of you have heard it. Maybe you've heard better sermons preached on it. But it's a story that I come to every single time that we come to this moment of the year. And it's a very simple reason. Do we awe and do we wonder at the matchless gift that is Jesus? As we prepare our last minute gifts and we're wrapping those last minute presents, are we doing it with the attitude in mind that we are delivering Jesus and not a $20 bill? When we prepare for the holiday feasts and festivals that we will experience over the next few days, are we making the food with the anticipation that we are carrying Jesus to the table with us as a gift and as an offering to our guests? When we open our doors to allow loved ones and friends and family to flood our homes, do we do so with the anticipation that Jesus is who they will meet once they enter our doorway? Do we understand the great gift that we've been given? The Bible is very clear that his gift is matchless. There is nothing that we can give that is greater than the gift of the Son of God. That there is nothing that we can give one another that matches the gravity of giving Jesus to our friends and to our loved ones. My understanding is this, that if I can give Jesus in one day, maybe two days, if I can learn to give Jesus in the holiday week, that there's a likelihood that I can turn a corner in this next year and give Jesus all year long. Christmas, I believe, is set aside towards the end of the calendar year to help us uh, catapult into the new year. That if we can learn to encapsulate the presence of Christ, the greatest gift that humanity was ever given, and pass that on in our actions and attitudes, and pass that on as we give and celebrate with those around us, that maybe that could be the catapult to the next year. That maybe the next year will be marked with the investment of giving Christ at every turn and every moment. It's not easy. It's not something we want to do all of the time. There are some difficult things that the Bible says to do, like forgive your enemies. And I want to say, no, that's not fair. I don't want to forgive them. Or that, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And I want to say, Lord, you take too long. Let me do it. Let me have vengeance, God. There are moments in this life where the Bible is counterintuitive to the way that we want to act, but every time we submit to the Bible way of doing something, we are presenting that person with a bit of Jesus, with a marker of his person, with, with just a little bit of his life. One of the things that I've learned is I've had to do and be a part of different funerals and if you ever hear me do a funeral, you'll hear me reference this idea to some way or another, is that when people live on, it's not necessarily because we, we, we can't get over their memory. It's not necessarily because we run to their picture and, and we try to remember all the good times and good moments. When people live on, it's because there are these singular moments that happen in the scope of our life. We smell something, we hear something, we experience something, and it makes us think of that person. And all of a sudden, their memory is rushed to the front of our consciousness. And in those moments, we are challenged to live out the guiding principles that made them who they were. 
In the same way as we reflect Christ, there are moments where we are reminded of Christmas, where we are reminded of Christ's mass, where we are reminded of the gift that God gives that's wrapped in swaddling clothes, that when we look at a sparkling Christmas tree, that we are reminded that Christ is wrapped up in that moment, that when we give a gift, that we are reminded that Christ is in that gift, that when we serve food, that we are reminded that in those treats that we are given, that there is an aspect of Jesus in the giving and that we are reminded from that point to live out the fundamental truths of who he is. These are markers in our everyday life that we can take with us that when we are reminded of Christmas, that when we are reminded of the gift that is wrapped in human flesh, the God that would come to us broken human people and make himself available to us that we can extend that life by those moments of remembrance, that we can extend that life by saying, God, in this moment, I'll live on your guiding principles. God, in this moment, even though I don't like it or don't want to, I will live on your guiding principles. Lord, even in this moment, when it might be difficult and hard, I'll live like you want me to live. Our loved ones live on in this way in our life and so does the character and nature of Christ live on in our everyday when we are truthful with the idea that we will submit to his character and to his nature living on in us. Jesus came to demonstrate the love of God more than anything else that we can talk about when we talk about the incarnation of God, God becoming flesh the one thing that we're actually speaking to is the love of God. One of the key reasons why so many people miss seeing Jesus at Christmas is because they're not looking for him. They're not like those shepherds that are seeking after they hear the angelic voice, the pronouncement that God's son is born, after the holiday music kicks off, after the endless Michael Buble songs start to play. Are we reminiscent that Jesus is the gift that we're looking for? Are we reminiscent that Jesus is the one, the Messiah that we are searching after? And Jesus came to demonstrate that love of God so deeply that Jesus calls all of his people to this gift of grace. Jesus calls everyone to come to this gift of grace, a gift that's unmerited, a gift that you couldn't earn, a gift that you couldn't strive hard enough to get on your own merit, yet he gives it freely. This gift of grace this God wrapped in frail human flesh. Do we understand that his love, that it's shown abroad in our hearts because there's a gift of hope that lays in that manger? Hope that says you don't have to stay the way that you are broken, ashamed, hurt. Hope that says tomorrow can be better than yesterday. Hope that says as we turn another year and another tick on the clock, another calendar falls away, that we can have a better that we can have a better new year than we had last year? Do we understand that there's a hope in Christ that is so much greater than, this, than the despair that this world offers? Do we understand that if we live out this gift of Christ in our everyday, that there is hope that comes with us and that there's a gift of unadulterated, unabashed love, that Jesus came to this earth not to judge us, Listen, the reason he came was not to show you how wrong you are. The reason he wrapped himself in human flesh and was perfect before men was not to show you your imperfections, although that comes out. The reason for his coming is because of his love for you. 
for you, the individual, not just you, the collective that is this church that I'm preaching to or whoever hears this over a podcast or over the internet, but you, the individual, he came for you. He didn't march through life and pass you by. You're not the lonely one that he missed on his journey. He came for you. He came because he knows your name. He came because he knows your situation. He came because he knows your heart. He came because he knows you need a savior. He came because he can see your brokenness and loneliness and he knows you need a fix. He came because he's already seen you screw up and mess up a thousand times and knows the only way out of that hole is if you abide in him. He came because he's the only fix that you will ever need and that will ever work. He came because he wanted to show you that love. Christmas is about Jesus giving us more than we could have ever asked for. Christmas is honestly about God coming and giving us more than we could have asked for, that we could have fathomed could be ours. Christmas is honestly a gift that is manifest in this person of Jesus that is greater than we could possibly understand. I know for many of us, we wrap gifts and we try to buy the best gifts that we can buy for our family. And some of you have maybe spent and overspent. I know at times we've done the same thing. We wrap these gifts, we put them aside, we put them under the tree, we hide them from our children so that they can tear open the paper and be surprised and be excited and be happy to be glad for what they were given. We hope that our children and those that we give gifts to see the intentionality that we have in the gift that we're presenting. We hope they see the intentionality that we went and spent of our time and of our resources to give these gifts, and we hope that translates. But the number one thing that we hope for when someone opens up a gift is that it meets the need that this person is seeking. Sometimes we give things that meet superficial needs, Our children get toys every Christmas and it meets a need of entertainment. Sometimes we give food gifts, sometimes we give other gifts, but we're hoping to meet some some type of a need. When God sent his son to be the gift, the ultimate gift for humanity, the need that he was meeting was the broken heart that we all possess. That away from God, there is a brokenness within us that only he can put together together. There's an aspect of our stony and broken and hardened heart that only God can put together and make flesh again. That the super glue that holds our heart together is nothing here on this earth. It is nothing temporal and it is nothing that we can merit or muster on our own. That only Jesus can come in and be that salve that heals, that binds us and that puts us together. In this Christmas season, if we forget to unwrap the gift that is this baby, If we forget to unwrap this gift that is laying in swaddling clothes, if we forget to unwrap this gift that is the Christ child in a manger, we lose sight of the whole purpose. We're going to wake up Christmas morning. My kids are going to be on fire, excited, jumping on our bed. Dad, can we go see? Can we go see? Can we go see? This Christmas, this Christmas morning, my hope is that you wake up with that same sense of anticipation that you run into the gathering place of your friends and your family, that you run where the Christmas presents are and where the holiday feast is happening and you express to your loved ones, do you see, do you see, do you see the gift? Not the package under the tree, 
Not the carefulness of the food that has been prepared. Not the warm home that has been decorated. But do you see the Son of God laying in a manger, wrapped and cared for and presented just for you? Do you see Jesus in this moment? The older I get, the more I understand that this is the pinnacle of life. I used to think it was other stuff, vacations, happy times with my family. I used to think it was promotion and more money and other issues that we all, you know, we all go through in life that, that there were these pinnacle moments that I would get to and it would finally be satisfying and every one of them fell short. But once I recognize the gift that Christ is for me, the next best thing is watching someone else realize it for the first time. The next best thing is watching them unwrap the package of that swaddling clothes and see that baby for what he truly is, that it's not a myth and that it's not an ancient old story, that this is the son of God who came to earth, who didn't have to, who didn't need to, but loved you so much that he was passionate towards you and came to earth so that he could rescue you. When you find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, don't leave him there and pack him up for next year to just bring out a cold stone statue. Unwrap the gift that is the symbolism of that nativity scene. It is Christ come to earth so that we could have a way to God and express and experience his love like we've never done before. This is what Christmas is all about. This is the purpose behind the season. This is why I can't get away from this story. This is why it has to be told every year. This is why if you keep coming around Christmas, you're gonna hear a similar story every single year because it's the fact of the matter. Jesus is the reason for the season. No matter how cliche it becomes, no matter how awkward it looks on social media, the 50 million times you see it posted, Jesus is the reason. Are we unwrapping the gift that God has presented? This morning, I wanna challenge you. Make time for markers in your holiday season over the next two days. Make time for markers where you express the love of God in your giving, where you express the love of God in your doing, where you express the love of God in your planning. As folks come to your table for dinner, as you exchange gifts, as you love on the people close to you, don't let this season go by without expressing, I love you, but, but Jesus loves you so much more. I love you, but I can only do this because Jesus loved me first. I love you. I love you deeply. But the only reason I can even stand here today and the person that I am is because of what Christ did in my heart. Teach your children, teach your grandchildren, teach your nieces and nephews, teach those around you that the reason for all the sparkle, all the glitter, all the fanfare isn't just to sell more products. It's because Jesus came from heaven to human flesh. And the best we can do is to show that off by our decorations, our gift giving, our holiday preparations and our meals. That every time we turn to this holiday season, we're doing our best to say, God came from heaven to earth. And it's a miracle that I can't quite explain, but let me do my best in my decorations, in my housewarming, in my gifts. Let me do my best by inviting friends and family to come to my table. Let me do my best by my offering but don't let the moment go by without referencing. I do this not because I'm good or not because it's holiday tradition or not because I've just bought the right and the perfect gift. I do this because 
Jesus is at the centerpiece of everything in this season.